Welcome to episode 288 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. If you've been listening to Stageworthy for a while, or maybe you're a first-time listener and you're listening through a link on the website, did you know that you can subscribe so that you never miss an episode? You can do that by searching for Stageworthy on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts, and clicking on the handy subscribe button. That way, every week, the new episode of Stageworthy will be delivered right to you. And if you subscribe, let me know that you're a new subscriber. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com, and you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and the website where you can find the archive of all 288 episodes is at stageworthypodcast.com. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. My guest this week is Shane Adamchuk. Shane is a theatre maker from Australia and the host of the podcast Good Morning, Mrs. Strawberry. Shane is also a mainstay of the Canadian Fringe Festival circuit. One of the reasons I wanted to have Shane on the podcast is that as we in Canada are starting to open up, I thought it might be helpful to hear from a place where things are largely open once again. And so here's my conversation with Shane Adamchuk. How how is uh, uh, Good Morning Mrs. Strawberry going anyway? Um, it's going pretty good. Um, I took a little bit of a break uh, with it just to just get a few in the tank before I started putting them out again. So I've got a so I want to record maybe another three and then I'll start releasing them just so I've got a few in the bank so I don't have to make sure I'm doing them every week. That's that's how I keep myself sane doing this show. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so probably if I get my ass into gear, I'm about to start rehearsing a show, so I'll have a little bit more time to do some stuff on the weekend, so I'll record a few more and then start putting them out. Um, rehearsing a show, that's something interesting that um, is one of the reasons I wanted I wanted to have you on. Um, I don't know if you know this, things up here are not looking so awesome right now. Um, we're... We've been in, quote unquote, a lockdown since December 26th, um, and we don't see any signs of that that lifting. And, you know, I think a lot of people, especially in the theater world, are getting a little bit discouraged uh, by that. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was that you're in Australia, and largely, as I understand, things are pretty much wide open there. Is that is that true? Yeah, like especially here in Western Australia, like we've been extraordinarily lucky in that very early on in the pandemic, like we completely shut down our borders. We were really strict on lockdown and stuff. So like we were, we were kind of out of the thick of it quite quickly, like within, I think, two months or something. So yeah, it's been really strange as things here definitely sort of start to go back to normal. And even I think as of next week, like all venues are at 100% capacity allowed again. Really? Yeah, and then even that, and then having friends from Toronto message me the other day saying that they were jealous that I got to go out to shop for jeans, 
And um, you're yeah. like, you really, you really start to um, <laughs> take things for granted when you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm sorry that I was rubbing that in your face that I could go out and buy new pants. No, um, but I mean, one of the things that's, that's kind of good about this, the connected world is that, you know, we can see that shopping for pants is possible. Yeah. You know? Like we like can get there, that there. There will, there, there, there should be a time in the future when once again, we will be able to schlep around a mall and purchase pants. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's it's been very strange, especially since I've been podcasting as well and doing a lot of these sort of you know over the internet calls with my friends in Canada. Just seeing that the 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 way that the stages of dealing with this pandemic have sort of walked away from each other, as here got very quote unquote back to normal quite quickly. Whereas things, you guys are still where we were like a year ago almost, which is like insane and it's it's scary because I I want to get back there at some point, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean there's a there's a huge difference and 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 of course a lot of this is hearsay because of course we're on the opposite sides of the world but um the actions that Australia took early on were um really rigid and really serious. Yeah. Um and I understand that there was a little bit of there was some flack about how quote unquote draconian the steps were. Yeah, there were some people that were really butting heads with it and up against it. Like, I, I feel like I was at a little bit of advantage because I, I work in my, my day gig at a, at a hospital. So I'm pretty, you know, aware of like uh, isolation protocols and hand hygiene and all that like stuff that's very real and very scientific. And But there was a lot of people that were just really, really against it, which is, you know, it's understandable if you don't understand like the very basic science of mm. of germs, I guess. Um <laughs> But yeah, they were very they were very strict, and a lot of people went up against. But you know what? It it worked. It's it's a process that worked. People stayed inside as much as they could. Only mm-hmm. people that really needed to be at work were working for those first you know couple of weeks, couple of months, and mm-hmm. it and it paid off. We closed our borders so that people couldn't travel interstate um, unless it was super necessary, and yeah. you know that that really paid off. And now we're at a point where we're just living our lives again, and we're we're still you know obviously keeping out like during. Uh, February this year, there was one outbreak mm-hmm. in Perth. There was one case, and that literally shut down Perth for five days. Which, um, mm. again, it was extreme, but a lot of people went out and they all got tested, and there was no more cases. And then we went back to our lives again. Um, and even those five days, as I'll probably talk about uh, a little bit later, um, you know, had a big impact, but it was effective and it worked. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this is this is sort of the illustrates the the need for 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 serious steps and 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 not not half measures. Like here, I feel like we're like, well, everything is closed down except for these things where people are really spreading it. Like we're we're not closing down residential construction. We're not shutting down factories and warehouses, which have been shown to have like these be these huge spreader locations. Um, not. Uh, millennials having parties as as some people have said yeah and so we're not quite willing to take the the steps that could actually save our butts here and they're just hoping that we can vaccinate our way out of it yeah so yeah we're all yeah we're at the point as well where the vaccines are starting to roll out here um which is you know exciting but still like painstakingly slow it feels Mm. Um, but yeah, it's been so strange to see around the world, especially like in places like the States where it seems that in a lot of places, they kind of just went, they just kind of got sick of it and went, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. I guess COVID's yeah. over. And you're like, yeah. no, that's not how it works, friend. <laughs> it's going to make it so much worse. And it is making it so much worse. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. We're definitely seeing seeing that here. Um, now, I, I do want to talk uh, a little bit about um, what was the the process for opening theaters? Was it were, were there like fifty percent capacity and then growing from there? How did how did what did the return of theater look like uh, where you are? Yeah, it was it was definitely a slow process. It's something that took a little bit longer than a lot of in the arts community wanted to do. Um, the arts industry was like really hurting because when we went when we went into lockdown and everything was shut down and people were working from home that could. Um, similar to what Canada had, we had like a thing called a job keeper start, which was basically, you know, the government was giving people money to either work from home or to keep working from where they could work. Um, but no arts workers were covered by that. So no arts workers who suddenly couldn't work uh, weren't getting any income from the government. And that was sort of like a real thing where we were like, uh, hello, please help us. And then obviously the theatres weren't clo- were closed um, and we couldn't tour. So there's just nothing essentially you could do other than, I don't know, start a, start a YouTube channel or whatever. Um, but then slowly things started to happen. Uh, of course, sports took precedent as you would expect here in Australia. God forbid we I don't, think we don't have football. You know, not just an Australian thing. Yeah. I think that's a, that's that's many places. The sports will come back before the yeah uh, anything else. It was very frustrating to see, like you know, stadiums, you know, half full of people, you know, with thousands and thousands of people, and then like we still aren't allowed to open our little one hundred seater. <laughs> comedy venue mm-hmm. um but slowly things started to reopen and we i mean we were able to have fringe this year we we're able to have fringe world um yeah. in, in january february this year which was very interesting because obviously uh it was a much paired back scaled back version of what is i think the third biggest fringe in the world um no international acts very yeah. few interstate acts um, because at the time, even some borders were still closed. So only people like from Adelaide could come, but people from Queensland or Melbourne couldn't be here. So it was a bit of a mixed bag. It was mostly locals, um, which personally I liked. It worked, you know, it brought us back to the early days of that festival, which has been around mm. for, I think, 10, almost 10 years. Um, and in the early days, it was a lot smaller, a lot more uh, contained and a not more, uh, like big enough for the city without outgrowing it, um, mm. which I think it has a little now. So this year was an interesting thing where we actually had venues at, I think it was 50% capacity at that mm. point. Um, so, you know, we've got a comedy venue waiting to go back to 100% because it seats 50 people. So, you know, only right. being able to have 20 people in there isn't worth the money we'll make on the night. So, no. you know, there are some venues that are still struggling and still like kind of waiting for, okay, we're back at 100%, we can, we can make a go at this again. But they've also been closed for a year at this point, so it's you yeah. know it's hard to get that momentum moving again. Sure. Um, so a lot of people are still still struggling, but we're getting there. Now, has has there been support for the arts in Australia? Like, it's, has the government been offering support? I know because one of the problems that we have here is you know in Toronto we have all of these indie venues that are basically they 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 don't get grants to operate. They just use the money that people give them to rent the place to, 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 to fund their, their operations. Um, and so it's like, will those places still be here uh, when it's all over? If we don't get some infusion of, of, of help from various levels of government, has there been that kind of, has there been any support uh, from the levels of government there? 
Um, I mean, n- not really, not really from an indie point of view. Like we, we had an amazing comedy venue that had been running for 15 years and we, we lost it due to the, due to the pandemic essentially. Um, and we've sort of regrouped in a, in a new space now and slowly building it up again. But yeah, there's been lots of little indie venues that just, mm. you know, cause they're, they're living from show to show, you know, they, they need to have that income coming in to keep the space. Um, so with no shows, there's no income, there's no space anymore. Um, yeah. and some of those spaces just aren't going to be there. Uh, when everything opens again, we've lost lots of really great like local pubs and and local mm-hmm. businesses, and as it is everywhere, it's a real a real shame to see it going. And the government just not really really caring. Just as it's just a lot of like, well, you should have got a job in IT, and I'm like, uh, well, yeah, you're not, well, you're, you're maybe not wrong, but still, it's but, but help, you know, we're help, still here, please, yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes a lot of governments will will forget and sort of conveniently ignore the fact that um the arts bring business in right oh, yeah. like people people spend money at the theater they spend money at, for dinner before the theater they're like there's all these things that like theaters bring in especially if you have like a festival people come and they spend money like there's more than just like these elite artists and we don't have to worry about them because who cares like they are part of the economy yeah, I mean, we'd we'd run this, uh, you know, little comedy room upstairs in a pub, and you know, we it may not have been you know, you know sold out every single show, but we were bringing in you know fifty to hundred people a night into that pub who were buying you know two to three drinks each, uh, and then coming back you know week after week, and then suddenly right. you know we're we're not there anymore, and that affects you know obviously our venue, and then suddenly the pubs you know down five hundred sales a week yeah. as well, you know, so it's yeah. a, it has a big ripple on effect, it really does. There is a there is a huge ripple effect, I think, as soon as we're not we're not we're not doing that. And you know, as much as you know, we're people are keep trying to do virtual theater and Zoom theater. I f- feel a little exhausted by that. Yeah, it's now. just it's just not the it's just not the same as being in a room with people and having that immediacy of reaction and and you know laughs and tears and 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 just being in a space with actual humans like i yeah. i am i embraced as best i could sort of the virtual virtuality of things as i could and did mm-hmm. a, i did a bunch of stuff online in the first couple of weeks but it just gets to a point where you're like i don't want to be doing this forever this is <laughs> this is not what i signed up for you know yeah yeah i also feel like we're asking a lot of our potential audience who are spending more time than ever in virtual meetings yeah and then we <laughs> ask them to come to our entertainment and sit in another virtual meeting and people are kind of over screens, I think. Yeah, and look, I'm I'm the first to admit that if it, you know, I during Melbourne Fringe, which was uh, for the most part online this year, uh, last year rather, um, I'll I'll sit down and I'll watch a couple of people's shows on you know projected up on my wall or whatever. But it gets to a point where watching a pre-recorded th- live theater show with no audience reaction sounds. You know, yeah. if I could, if I have the choice between that and watching a really nice, well produced thing on Netflix, you know, nine mm-hmm. times out of ten, I'm going to watch the beautifully well produced, well shot, you know, made for yeah. a screen movie. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's just the truth of it. It's it just doesn't translate as well. No, because we do. I mean, we don't have a technology that lends itself to an audience feel. I've yeah. seen a couple of options that that might allow you to hear the rest of the audience, but you know, they're missing this feature or that feature or the, the, the main stage image is too small to be worth your while, all these little things. And I, fr- frankly, as much as I would like to say, well, maybe one day somebody will come up with something. 
I don't want that because I don't. Yeah. I like I don't think we're going to replace the the in-person interaction. We go to see movies in the theater because we want to experience that with a large group of people. That's that's one of the essential parts of theater is that experience. And, and I don't think any kind of video or virtual uh, room is going to be able to change that. Yeah, and like coming as at it from a performer as well, like it's just something just so unsatisfying about it. Like the reason that I I mainly work in theater rather than than do film um, is just is because I love the the liveness, the 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 fear, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, of being in that room and you yeah, know, it, it's happening then and there and the immediacy of the reactions of the audience and just well, it's like pre-recording it's like- something, it's, it's, you know. It's just no, insane. it's never going to be the same. There's that, there's that, that, you know, having gone on the fringe circuit and, and, you know, you've, you've traveled around Australia and Canada to fringe festivals, you know, that like, you literally don't know as in different cities, like, is this city going to like this? Are they going to like this show? Here? Oh, they liked yeah. it in the last place, but I don't know what this place likes. You can have, you can have the hit show of the summer and then you, you know, you hit Saskatoon and it's just not their flavor. And you're like, all right, this has been yeah. a humbling, a humbling experience. And thank you. <laughs> every, every time, every time you go to a new place, you're, you, you're flipping a coin. Is this going to be, is this going to be a rocky fringe or is this going to be a really great fringe? Yeah. I mean, the same thing I've had shows, you know, that have been like doing, doing fine, but not where I wanted them to be. And then you hit the last two cities of the tour and then suddenly, uh, you know, BC are like, oh, BC is our audience. You're like, boom. All right. Ended on a high. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah it really is a flip of a coin. Yeah. And, and so worth it every time. Well, I mean, this is the thing is, is. We, if if you if you do a fringe festival tour, you're kind of chasing that. You're chasing that experience. You're chasing that that high from, you know, having a hit show or like having a show that people are really liking. And there there's so many ups and downs, even within the same fringe or the same day. You know, there's so many moments of like elation and complete devastation. It's it. It really is so much more than just taking a show on the road. Like there's the camaraderie of the the people that you meet from city to city, the different audiences, the different towns, experiencing new places, seeing so many other amazing shows which inspire you. Like it. It really is like you know. It's like a traveling circus. It's like summer camp for adults. It's it's so much of like what my life has become. And so suddenly not having it and potentially not having it for another year or two, three oh. years, God knows. Like it's very frustrating because yeah. this is this is the longest I've been in Western Australia for about 10 years. And it's really it's bizarre. You know, because I, I haven't even been like been able to travel interstate yet. Uh, mm. like I am later this year, but that's like the first time. And I'm, you know, I'm going to the Northern Territory for three days and then I'm coming back. That's I mean I I really feel like 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 uh, hearing the the idea that like it might be another three years before we can travel like that and and and, and tour like that is 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 a little bit depressing. But um, it's also I guess you know this is the process. This is where we are. Where um, we have to accept that things are going to come back little by little. Yeah, because yeah, I'm absolutely like not not taking for granted how incredibly fortunate we've been here, like especially in Western Australia. But as you know, like as someone who primarily makes his you know living as being a touring artist, it's it's very mm-hmm. frustrating that you know a lot of the borders are still closed, and I can yeah. go to a few places in Australia, but that's that's kind of it at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we only have so many fringe festivals, and plus, yeah. I miss you guys. 
<laughs> well, you know, we, 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 we miss you too. Uh, you know, one of the, actually, uh, this is, this is a, this is sort of like a line of questioning that I, I, I've been really curious about because, um, you know, thinking about, about, you know, we get a few, you know, the people who travel internationally, there's a, a few people who do like the fringe circuit and a couple that come from England and a couple, you know, we have a small contingency from Australia. Yeah. How did you start in like the Australian fringe and what made you first want to bring a show uh, on the Canadian fringe circuit? Um, I first got started with fringes. Um, why did I? Well, I think uh, my university when I was studying at WAPA, um, part of part of third year is that you do a show as part of the fringe. Um, I think is what it was. I think that's when I did my first one. Sorry, I'm just going to adjust my microphone. It's falling down. Um, yeah, so part of that, I actually went as part of the cast of The Year Above Me, did a show in the Adelaide Fringe back in 2002, I think it would have been, and that was sort of my first out-of-state experience. And that Fringe, you know, obviously it's the second biggest in the world to Edinburgh, and it blew my tiny little, you know, 20-year-old mind. And it, it's a very addictive thing to go on tour and be like, whoa, you can just go and once you do your show, you can go watch a whole bunch of other shows and then everybody mm-hmm. goes and drinks a bunch of drinks and you dance and you watch bands and it's just so much fun. And, yeah, I, it was, I just knew I love it from, from then. And so after mm-hmm. I graduated, um, my friend Thomas Ford, who's also like a well-traveled uh, fringer, uh, we did a two-man show together and then it kind of grew from there. My company, Weeping Spoon, in 2007, I think, got a grant to take one of our shows to Canada because uh, one of us had been living over there for a little bit doing the, you know, the working visa thing. And she was mm-hmm. like, oh, we should come do a couple of cities in the, in the fringe circuit. So we did, uh, we did Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto, I think, mm-hmm. from memory. And, uh, yeah, even those three cities, I was like, oh, I'm doing this, and then came back a couple of years later solo with the Zach Adams thing. I think I did six cities that first time solo, which was like, huge for me and it was just like mm. yeah it's it's a drug it's a beautiful beautiful drug <laughs> it is and and i mean you you had sort of like you'd, you'd come to canada with that that you know for the three city tour and you weren't alone but what what is it like coming to a completely other country uh alone and producing a show uh, and taking it across the country. What, what's that oh, it, like the first time? It is. It was nerve-wracking and terrifying. Like at that point, I'd toured solo a little bit throughout Australia, but nothing like at this scale where I was like, you know, going to a bunch of cities that I'd never been before, you know, flying everywhere, you know, just meeting random people along the way. But you become friends. You make friends and you become fast friends, you know, on this tour because, you know, you, you may be in one town, you start in Montreal and those people within the, you know, two and a half week span become very close. And you're like, okay, these are my friends. And then some of them go on with you to the next city. Some of them you won't see again. Some of them you'll see later mm-hmm. down the track. And yeah, like I said, it becomes this like this traveling circus and people are giving each other lifts and helping each other out and taking each other's shows. And it just becomes this big family. And I just felt like instantly just so incredibly welcomed into that mm. scene. And it's, it was just such a like a beautiful, beautiful thing to be part of. Um, and then knowing that, you know, as new people and even like over the years, I brought other Australians with me to do various shows or I've encouraged them to come over and like getting to be part of that family and welcoming new people into it and sort of, you know, show them the ropes and be like, oh, this is how this city works. This is how this city's different from this city. Uh, this is Jem Rolls. He'll help you out, you know. Um, it's just a, It's just a great thing and it's just become such – just such a big part of my life now. 
it's like and just keeping in mm. touch with everyone overseas like thank god for for facebook for all its faults you know yeah i mean that's that's really for me that's the that's the one good thing about facebook you can argue with your uncle about whatever but like the fact that that i can talk to i can see what's happening with my friends lives but also like see how different places in the world are right now yeah absolutely it's um without it like i would i would be much worse at keeping in contact with people um and you know i'm so happy to have that if the price is that you know i have friends over and we're talking about hamburgers and the next day my computer's like hey you should buy some hamburgers i'm like okay all right that's the that's the price we play. We yeah, pay. yeah. Now you did a a year long uh, residency at the at the Mainline Theater in Montreal. I did. Yes. Um, when you came to Canada for your tour that year, did you know that was coming, or was that something that developed while you were here? Um, that is a good question. And going back <laughs> a few years, so that that was when I when I moved over for two years. Um, and so yeah, I think. I think that was sort of pre-planned because I let them know mm. that after the tour, I was going to come back to Montreal and, you know, live there for a while. So, right. they wanted me and, I, you know, I was like obviously in contact because I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here. I want to be doing things. I want to be putting on shows. So, they offered me this this residency, which was great because mm. it helped me develop uh, one of my one of my sort of biggest, biggest shows. And I got mm. to do um, a run of all my solo shows and they helped me develop a bunch of stuff. And we developed Captain Spaceship, which is one of my improv shows that is still mm. going um to this day um there so it was yeah it was an amazing experience and and while i was there like i did so many shows at mainline that place mm. really became like my my second home when i was living in montreal do you still think of it as like as as a second home like i i know like i don't i didn't perform there but you know mainline is so integrated with the fringe there that i still have these very warm feelings towards mainline theater even though i was only there for like two weeks yeah, I mean, yeah, it became such a big part of my life. Like, oh, if I wasn't performing something there, I was, you know, there watching someone else's show or helping out with someone else's show or taking someone else's show, and I was just just hanging around like a bad smell, <laughs> you know, <laughs> using the internet during the day if I needed it. Mm. Um, again, it's just part of that that fringe family thing, and sort of it just became mm-hmm. part of the furniture. So when I when I go back to Montreal, it always feels familiar, and it always feels like home. Uh, no yeah. matter how long it's been, like to the point that there's places I went uh, last time I was there was 2019 was my last tour, and I stayed there for an extra month because I was writing a play, and you know I just wanted to be there to write what I was working on, and I would go to places I used to visit five years earlier, and they would still know like. I'd walk in, they go, oh, the regular? And I'm like, how do you remember me? What do you mean the regular? Like, don't live here anymore. And like, just that that's how amazing that place became to me. Mm. Like, even places I wouldn't go that often, you know? It was bizarre. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Now, uh, one of the things that I'm always curious about when I talk to people on, 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 on this show is about their theater origin story. So we talked about your fringe and what drew you to, to fringe. So sort of your fringe origin story, but yeah, but why, why theater? What, what is it that, how did you first get into theater? What drew you to theater? What, what made you want to create your own shows? Um, all right. Well, going, I mean, going way, way back to yeah, like, we're going to go like primary school era. Um, I mean, I feel like I have a similar origin story to a lot of theatre kids and that I was a very, very shy kid. And I just had that one sort of special teacher that recognised that and found a way to get me to come out of my shell. And that was theatre. 
And um, it would have been, I want to say, grade four. And Miss Wilson uh, had me audition for the lead role in the uh, crazy reworked production of uh, Cinderella through the television. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, that classic tale where Cinderella, the princess, goes through the television into a parallel world and becomes a weird little boy. Uh, oh, of course, I, yeah, I remember You know that, you know that classic yeah. tale. Yeah, that, um, the and, classic. Yeah, and so I auditioned and, uh, you know, in grade four style and I got the role and, and you know, got laughs on stage for the first time. I was like, ooh, ooh, I liked that. So still, I mean, even to this day, I'm a pretty reserved sort of shy person, but, you know, when I'm on the stage, that's where I feel the most comfortable. Um, which for a lot of people is, you know, a terrifying thought, but for me it's it's home and, you know, still to this day, like I do a lot of improv to keep that sort of like that fear, you know, mm. on stage. So, yeah, from primary school, just kind of got addicted to what did like a bunch of school plays and then in high school, I was really lucky that the my high school had a really incredible uh, drama program and did really big, you know, productions every year and I did like West Side Story and I was in Midsummer Night's Dream and we did a – I think we did the first – uh, production of the musical Big anywhere in Australia. Um, yeah, so, you know, I don't want to brag, but I played Tom Hanks's character's dad in that. Oh, oh Tom no. Hanks's dad? No, no. Wow. Yeah, Tom Hanks's character's dad. Pretty good. Oh, um, yeah, and so that was fun. And then, yeah, after that, I went straight into Performing Arts Academy in Western Australia and then got the got the fringe bug. And then two, two really amazing things happened is uh, very early on, I went to the Melbourne Fringe and I saw my first ever solo show and that mm. experience blew my mind. I was like, you can do a show by yourself because I was doing a two-man show at the time and we were having a great time. But, you know, everyone knows that once you tour with someone for a bunch of time, you're living in each other's pockets, you can get on each other's nerves. And that particular mm-hmm. day was the day we were kind of like, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing today. You do your own thing and we'll meet up tomorrow for the show. And we, we watched this show and I was just like, you got to just do a show by yourself. This is great. I'll have no one to blame but myself and I'll get to take all the credit, you know. And that that's when I started touring solo. And, you know, you do get a little bit lonely after a while and sort of yeah. came back to doing ensemble stuff after that. But, um, yeah, it's fun, fun, fun. So you, I mean, you, you, you experienced your first solo show like, like seeing it at a fringe and not any other way. I saw it at a fringe, yeah. And the next thing that happened that really blew my mind is I saw another solo show, I think the year later, and it was still to this day one of the best shows that I've ever seen. It was called uh, Around the World on 80 Quid, I believe. And it was this Irish guy um, named Andreas just telling this this partially true tale um, and playing the fiddle. And it was like stripped back, you know, it was in a really crappy little venue with like two lights, no microphone, and I was just like, this is one of the best things I've ever seen. And this guy has a budget of like negative $50. And I was like, so you can do a show by yourself and you can do a show with nothing and it still be good. And, and like, that's what I've been striving for like my entire career. Like with, with some exceptions, I, I really do believe that a really good show should be able to, you know, exist completely stripped back and be performed under fluoro lights at a pinch. Um, yeah. And obviously it's, it's there's kind of amazing yeah. when you get to see something like that, when you get to see something that's, that's, so simple and yet so riveting. Yeah, and that show like impacted me. Like I, I still talk about it to this day, obviously. And I like it was such a like a simple format. It was just a really good storytelling show. Just a dude and a fiddle, a fiddle. And I was just like, and it, you know, I walked out of that, you know, emotional. I was like, oh my god, what a story. And like, just I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a big budget show with the, all the bells and whistles, but 
just something as simple as that that just can change your life just as much as you know watching the lion king or whatever is mm. is such an important part of of why i love theater and why i still do it and why i sort of love sort of the the, the punk you know ideologies of of fringe theater yeah when when you're creating a show, whether it's for Fringe or, or otherwise, um, are you – like what's your creation process? Do you sit down and write it or do you stand? Do you, do you, do you try to improvise scenes and write them down? How do you create uh, a show? Like for example, uh, let's say uh, your first uh, Zach Adams show. Um, the, the process has been a little bit different for all of them to be honest. Um, the first Zach Adams show was obviously like my first big show. So your brain is just sort of like – filled with a million ideas so that I know when I find it hard to get to sleep until I write a bunch of stuff down that the show is is going to be something good hopefully um and that's how that show came about is that I was like on tour I was just so inspired by all these plays that I was getting to see and seeing solo shows for the first time seeing all these little shoestring budget shows just going holy crap I just I love fringe and just being so inspired to create going I want to have something like this I want to I liked what happened in this show I liked what happened in this show I want to sort of incorporate these things that I loved into what I'm making and so I think the first show was very influenced by like my ideals of being a theater artist and being a solo theater artist and what I wanted to see on stage um Later down the track, like my play Trampoline, which was a three-hander, was kind of based on something that I had already written. It was based on a uh, a fake blog that I had been writing just as sort of an experiment while I was living in Montreal. And I sort of fell in love with the character that I was writing from the perspective from. And I was like, this this story could be a play. And I turned it into something a bit more cohesive mm. and serious. Um, whereas my two-man show, The Ballad of Frank, Frank Allen, that started as a, as a short story series that I was writing. Uh, for a, a website and again I was like this this would make a really fun show and that was like another translation from something else I had written um, and the idea just came do you know the uh, the the Kevin Smith film Tusk yeah 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 so he talked in the making of that um, how it came about because basically he was like he had this bizarre idea during his podcast for this movie about a guy that you know gets kidnapped and turned into a walrus and he said like no one else is ever going to make that movie unless I make that movie. And that's how I feel about, you know, some of the shows that I make. Like this is the thing I would love to see on stage as a play mm. about a tiny man that gets shrunk and ends up living in another man's beard for two years. I'm like, no one else is going to make that show. So I'm going to make that show because I want to see it. I want to see if it works. Um, and so a lot of my ideas have come from things that I wish existed but didn't yet. Now with a show like The Ballad of Frank Allen, which is about a man who gets drunk and lives in another man's beard Tyler's um, all this time with with is 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 that something when you're coming up with that are you like this is never gonna work or you're like i think this is insane enough that it's just gonna work a little bit of both um originally i was just <laughs> like i'm just gonna write this show and we're gonna figure out how we're gonna do it later like i'm just gonna write it how i want to write it forget about the limitations of theater like i'm just gonna write the show as i dream it and then we'll hmm. figure it out later and then from that you know process of obviously like this is a little bit too cinematic this is too informatic we're not gonna be able to recreate this on stage too this is a little bit too uh you know cinematic but we're gonna figure out how to do it and translate it to stage and luckily hmm. um Sinjin coucher who i you know developed the show with he's an incredibly like talented performer in his own right he writes a bunch of great stuff and he's a really good physical performer and he is just so willing to 
trust me and for me to trust him that we could just like throw ideas out there and go, let's just try this and see if it works. It might be stupid. And even if it is, we might keep it in. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So we just had a really good, a really good working relationship and a really good trust that like, we'll just try stuff. We'll throw everything on the wall. We'll see what sticks. Hmm. There's something about um, like trying not to think about staging while you're writing um, and just trusting that you can, you can find a way to do it later on. Uh, when I was talking to Sex T-Rex years ago, they were like, yeah, we just write it. We write it cinematic. We don't worry about how we're going to do it until we're trying to rehearse it. Yeah. And then we'll figure out how do we do this car chase and then we'll figure out a way to do it. Um, and something about like, I think sometimes as theater artists, we can get a little bit too hung up on, oh, these are the rule, the quote unquote rules of what you can do in a theater. Um, and that can be a little hampering, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can just really restrict yourself, but giving yourself those challenges to have to problem solve, it keeps it, you know, it keeps it exciting. It keeps it interesting. And like when it works, like, I mean, Sexy Rex mm-hmm. is such a perfect ex- example of like the, mm-hmm. the physicality of the stuff they bring on stage is just incredible. Like I've, I've been in awe of them many times. Um, uh, those guys and some of the stuff that, that Peter and Chris have done as well mm-hmm. really like influenced some of the work we did on Ballad of Frank Allen for sure, like in terms of the mm-hmm. physical work. Um, cause I was like, yeah. Oh, I want to, I want to see if I can do what sex T-Rex does with two people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, years ago, uh, one of the first Keystone theater shows featured a, uh, a, a, like a chase on top of a train. Um, and we were just like, we'll figure that out. And all we did was like, we had a, a light on the stage that represented the top of the train. And every so often somebody would run by with a branch. Yes. And <laughs> it was so simple. And yet, it worked so well that it just sort of told me that like you don't necessarily need a huge budget to do something spectacular. The simplest thing can be something that the audience will just get carried away with and just go with. And so satisfying to see as an audience as well, just going, that's how they did that. Oh, that is so simple yet so genius and I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I remember seeing Sex T-Rex do uh, some kind of like a uh, 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 chase, with, like a dog fight with, um, with planes or spaceships and they used hangers. And somehow it was one of the most exciting things I've seen. Yeah. I just, yeah. It's just seeing like other people's, like the way that people's minds work as well. Going, you know, what? I bet they were just sitting in a room with a bunch of coat hangers. They're like, what about this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> just sort of, I'm curious about uh, when you went off to, before you went off to, to, to performing art school, um, was there, was there ever a point in high school where somebody was like, this theater thing, maybe you should uh, not uh, pursue that? Or, or was was the school and your family and everybody else really supportive of it? Um, no, I think I've been really lucky that my my folks, uh, especially, have always been very sort of supportive of my career. There was, there was the day at the end of high school where I applied for performing arts school and also uh, graphic design. Um, and I was just like, I, I got into both, but then it came to that day where I had to send one of the letters back, you know, I had to make the choice. And I often think about that parallel universe, Shane, who's possibly a very successful, wealthy graphic designer now. Um, <laughs> but is he as happy as me? Probably not. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I sometimes think about him. Um, but no, no my- had you, had you, had you done graphic design before that? Or were you just like, this sounds like a cool thing? 
I did. I did a bunch of like I studied mm. fine arts and stuff when I was at, at um, high school. Um, mm. So that was kind of the path I went into. And you know, inevitably, being an independent producer, you end up doing a lot of graphic design anyway. Yes. Uh, so you're like, you know, I design all my my show publicity posters and all that kind of stuff anyway. Um, mm. So you know, in, I got kind of the best of both worlds. Just you know, not as well trained in in one. Um, but yeah, my, my family have always been super supportive and whenever I'm in Australia and, you know, my, my family will always come out to see, uh, mm. my show. So it's always, it's always good for my cast. Cause there's always at least one night that's guaranteed to sell out cause I've got a pretty big family. So <laughs> that's right, guys. always good. That's always yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, just as we start to a couple of things that I want to, co- I want to come back to the state of, of theater in, in Australia and uh, West Australia right now. Um, and you said that, that. Are you are you at a hundred percent, or you're about to go to a hundred percent? I think as of this week, I think it, things are back to a hundred percent, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but of course, the fringe season is over there. The fringe season is over. Uh, Adelaide Fringe has come and gone. The Melbourne Comedy Festival just finished, um, so we're kind of in the little bit of the media slump for festivals. There's Darwin Fringe coming up later in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, Melbourne and Sydney have their fringes in like mm, like August September, I think. So still a few smaller fringes to go, but all the big ones are, are pretty much done. Perth, Adelaide, and Melbourne are sort of the three three biggies for the year. Hmm. And so, how does a how does a, a, a fringe artist who's who's uh, out of fringe festivals and, and can't tour? Um, how do you keep yourself How do you keep yourself busy in those those off those off weeks? Uh, well, I'm very fortunate that I've got a gig with uh, a professional company here coming up next week uh, for the next nine weeks. I'll be on uh, rehearsing and then doing a regional tour of a production of The Little Prince. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I'm very lucky that I have that gig. But, I mean, other than that, a lot like uh, a lot of artists, I've you know, last year I had a massive pivot in what I was doing. I started uh, my own independent toy company. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'm a, I'm a huge like retro vintage toy collector and I've always wanted to sort of make my own lines of weird little characters. And so I had the time last year and I had the fun. So I, uh, you know, I, I started that last year, a little company called Cube Boy Collectibles and that's still going and people seem to really like it. And so that's, that's the thing that I'm going to, I really want to keep going. And in the second mm-hmm. half of this year, when I don't have as much theater stuff going, I'm going to really focus on that and churning out a bunch of cool new weird little figurines and toys and and weird bootlegs and paintings and visual art things and yeah so that's that's keeping my creative mind busy while mm. i can't you know leave leave the country yeah what do you think is the first thing you will do when you can travel ooh um probably go to mainline theater and say hi to everybody <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean like within Australia is fine, but I don't, I don't really do that many of the Australian fringes anymore. Um, just because it's just, you know, the rewards just not as, as much, um, Mm. as I would like it to be. Whereas I've come and do Canada for, you know, three months, it's a lot of work and a lot of money to get there, but you know, potentially I'll make quite a bit of that back and I'll get to see all, you know, my Canadian fringe fam, which I only get to see once a year. So Yeah. yeah, I would love to do another big Canadian tour, like who knows when that's going to happen, but when it does happen, boy, is it going to be fun? Cause I feel like <laughs> everyone's, you know, going to be really like raring to go and really like jump back into that, that lifestyle. I feel like the fringe circuit that year, all of this is going to be a pretty wild year of fringing. Yeah. And all I hope is there's not 50,000 shows about COVID. 
Yeah, I don't want to see any shows about COVID. Yeah, we don't. We, I, we get I, it. We like, were there. We were just there. Yeah, we were there. I don't want to see another. I don't want to see a bunch of solo shows about this. I spent a year alone in my apartment. Yeah, we all did. We all did. So, we we lived that show. <laughs> yeah, we're okay. Yeah. Maybe maybe it could be a nice history piece in twenty years, but like, no, no, we don't we don't need those. I just want a bunch uh, of musicals about zombies, oh. or a bunch of shows about the apocalypse or something. Just how there's always you know there's always that weird theme that emerges each year during the tour. I yeah. love it. I don't Can know I, why it happens, I, but it's great. I just think there aren't enough musicals about zombies. There should be more. There should always there be should at be least more. one in every city, please. Like, please, will somebody please create, write a, a, a musical about, like a zombie apocalypse musical? I just need it. I'm ready. Yeah. Now, uh, last thing that I one thing that I've been asking everybody since this since the pandemic started is is about joy. Um, what has been giving you joy through this time? Um, one amazing thing that I've really taken away from this is that I've been able to spend so much more time with my family, uh, my two nephews specifically, like my, uh, youngest nephew Otis just turned one last week. So he was born, he was born during the very early stages of the pandemic. And mm. because I, I work at a hospital during my day gig and I had to be super cautious about isolation and that stuff, I didn't actually get to meet him till he was like three weeks old, which was right. really hard for me because I really yeah. love, I really love my nephews and I really, really wanted to, to meet him. So yeah, I, I ended up writing a song about the, the experience of, you know, not getting to meet him and him being born into this weird situation. Um, so yeah, spending time with my family has been, been really good. Um, and just seeing, catching up with my friends that I probably should spend more time with here in Western Australia anyway. Um, so that's sort of been a good thing and just really appreci appreciating what I have here when I'm in Western Australia so that I miss it more when I still leave. Shane, thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. I, I, I really wanted to, to, to talk to you about, about the state of theater there and hear your story because it, first off, it's a great excuse to, to talk to you. Um, but also because I really feel like, like here we can really use the, the hope that the theaters are coming back. So thank you for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I, I can't wait till you guys get to start doing awesome stuff again. And hopefully I can come and see it. <laughs>